The question I have for you is, are you living the destiny that God has for you? Are you in the future that God had planned for you? Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy with a series called One Gospel, One Church. How many of you know there's one gospel and one church? Do you believe that? Amen? Come on. And we've been going a journey. I'm not going to recap everything in detail But we did one standard, one way, one gift, one baptism, one spirit. And last week we spoke about one glory. And it was so powerful as we are going through the book of Romans. And we're standing still at Romans 8 for quite some time because there's so much going on in Romans 8. And I thought we were going to finish Romans 8 today. But we're not because there's just so much in the next five verses. So there's still one more week to go. I thought of you know, putting it all in there today. But I think the thing that God wants to share with us today, if you could just get that, if that can just land in your spirit, then we are going to be so, so much stronger for that. And we, last week we spoke about one glory, as, and we saw that when we receive, when we become children of God, the, the spirit of adoption comes upon us, and it creates a reaction in us where we will shout, Abba, Father, how many of you were a bit challenged by that? That the cry, that word cry, is actually a loud shout that we should have as a reaction. Anyone were challenged by that? The people who are challenged by that won't put up their hands. I, I guess it's kind of a, <laughs> kind of a challenging question. Um, and, and we saw that if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Jesus Christ. And we were all challenged by what that means and what that should look like. And we saw that the whole of creation is groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Because even the salvation of creation is locked up in the glory that God has for us as his children. I mean, that is just awesome. Imagine that we get that and actually live it out. I was listening to the podcast and to the... My, my message from last week, and I noticed that I said a lot of times, I said, you don't get it. And I know that some people criticize me for that. They don't like it when I say, you don't get it. So, so maybe I should change it to, you haven't received this yet. <laughs> you haven't made this part of who you are yet, right? Is that better? Will that encourage you? Will you feel less judged and offended? <laughs> okay. When I say you don't get it, it's really not because I'm trying to be ugly. It's because... I love you so much, I want you to get it. Because when you get it, it'll change your life. Do you, do you hear that from my heart? Some heads are nodding. Others are going, don't say that again, okay? <laughs> Just know I love you. I love you so much. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> Amen? In a world that is drenched in lies, we have to be the place where truth is spoken. Amen? All right. So today... The, the message is called One Destiny, One 
destiny. And we're going to talk about what is our destiny as children of God. Now, a destiny, one of the definitions says it's a future that someone or something will have. A future that someone or something will have. I want to quickly ask you, what did you want to become when you were a young child, about seven, eight years old? What did you want to be? I know that with, I've been asking my, my kids since young, what do they want to be? When Leon was four or five, he wanted to be a paleontologist, and he could say that. And then after a while, he said he's going to build a museum and an aquarium because he wants to be a marine biologist as well and have both places next to each other. And then there'll be one ticket for rich people and one ticket for medium people and one ticket for poor people. And I'm like, who will decide that? <laughs> but I love it that, um, but that's changed over the years. And, um, and then um, one of my other boys said that I'm going to become a, a professional rugby player, make money, and then I'm going to buy or make or have a car dealership. We're going to fix cars, build cars, and sell cars, and that's how I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm like, that sounds like a great plan. Um, how many of you? How many of you had a dream when you were a child? I want to become that one day. Anyone? Like you had a picture of this. How many of you are doing what your seven or eight-year-old self wanted to do? We've got one hand up, two hands, three, five. Okay, a few, but not the majority. My, I wanted to be a lawyer since I could remember. Can you believe that? <laughs> Some people are saying, "Thank God that never happened." Uh, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I even took Latin in high school, you know, because I could, because Paul Ruiz offered it. <laughs> and back then, you still had to take Latin if you wanted to study law, so I wanted to do that. And this, but the reason will make you laugh. The reason I wanted to become a lawyer is because of a little TV show you might remember, some of older, called L.A. Law. Anyone remember L.A. Law? <laughs> and then later years, Ali McBeal kind of confirmed it. Um, and then I was very shocked to find out that the American law system and the South African law system are completely different. <laughs> it's not the same, and it's not nearly as exciting as they make it look on television at all. But, and also, as a child, people would often um, tell me, my parents, my family, and people, we, you know, friends and f other people that didn't, didn't even know me, would hear me speak and go, hey, you, you're very um, argumentative and technical. You should be a lawyer. <laughs> Um, I think that part might still be true today. But so I thought, yeah, I should be an advocate or a lawyer or something. And, um, then, and I was actually studying law. And then God intervened in my life. And he started showing me that might have been your dream. That might have been your plan. But I want to show you something else. And it's something that I never could imagine. And my, my dream of what I should be or who I should be slowly but surely start shifting to what is God dreaming over my life. And I don't know how many of you have had that shift as well. Um, and so, so if you are living that dream life that you may have dreamt about, I want to ask you what were the parameters that made you go, this is the dream, and the moment that you realize, hey, I'm living that, what are the reasons that you decide I'm there now? In other words, what are the parameters I'm looking through to decide this is it? I, did you set the parameters or did God set the parameters or did other people's opinions set the parameters? Like this is success. So if I reach this, then I will live my dream life. Who set that standard? You, other people, or God? So 
let's say you are living your dream life, but you decided what the parameters are. And it makes it mainly makes you happy. The question I have for you is, are you living the destiny that God has for you? Are you in the future that God had planned for you? Alternatively, let's say you kind of hate the status quo of your life. How many of you are not happy with where you are in life? <laughs> Maybe you look at your circumstances, you go, I'm not living the dream. I'm not living any kind of dream. No one wants to live the dream that I'm in. It's more like a nightmare. Some might feel like I'm living a nightmare, okay? I don't want to make light of it, but maybe you feel like, you know, or you're like 50 and still going, one day. <laughs> one day when? <laughs> and I know that feeling. I've, I totally know that feeling. I wanted to change the world and, and make all kinds of stuff happen before age 30. And, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. So I understand that feeling. But if you don't like the status quo of your life right now, and, and you just know or feel something inside you says there's something more or there's something better, once again, are you sensing that because of your parameters or expectations or because of something that God put inside of you? Because of you, if your life is sucky and you made all the decisions that led to where you are, can you blame God for where you are? I once read a book with a bunch of men. I think it was called, Rod, you were there. The 12 habits, 12? 12 traits of something. Um, and the first, the first chapter started with responsibility. And the first line read that you are exactly where you are because of the choices that you made. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm so offended by that. <laughs> and then when you start thinking about it, you're like, hmm, this is actually true. Every choice that I've ever made has come from here, from here, and I did it, and it caused me to be where I am today. Now, here's the question, and this is, this is a philosophical question, I guess, and I'm not going to try to answer this philosophically. I'm going to try to answer this biblically today, but the question is then, is destiny inevitable? In other words, if my life has an end point that is predetermined, will I definitely end up there no matter what? Will you end up exactly where God wants you in the original plan, planned way He wanted for you if you do not cooperate with Him in obedience? So can you end up where God wants you if you don't cooperate with Him? Now, here's a, another follow-up question. What would your life look like if you surrendered to God's will and His way in your life completely? And if your knee-jerk reaction to life is to do the will of your Father in heaven and to respond from and make decisions from your Christ-like character, what could your life look like? Is that a good question? Does it make you think? Now today we're going to tackle a few verses in this amazing jam-packed Romans 8 chapter. And we're going to see what God's plans are for His children in terms of their destiny. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but the word destiny and the word destination have the same root word. 
Can you see that? Destiny, destination, okay? It speaks of ending up in a place in the future. When you go on holiday, you climb in a car, you're like, we have a destination that we'd like to get to. But how many of you know? You said, we're leaving at 12, and if you have kids, you're going to leave at 2. So already, the time that you wanted to be at your destination has been compromised. (laughs) Now you finally get in the car, you had an idea. Most of the men here who are planners have a plan on how we will get there and what we'll do on the way there. And you will read no instructions on the way there because you know where you are going. (laughs) And if your wife has anything to say about it, there will be some tension, right? How many of the men here have a wife that thinks she has a uh, brake pedal on her side of the car? (laughs) That imaginary brake pedal. That's very funny. Now, whether we start the journey, follow the instructions, get distracted, lose hope, or stay focused will influence the following. It'll influence the success of your journey, which is whether you arrive, because a a successful journey has an end destination that you planned from the beginning, right? Would you agree? If I'm on a journey with a destination and I don't end up at the destination, is the journey a success or not? No, depending on what kind of journey. But in most most instances, that will be a successful journey. So whether you arrive at the designated place will determine the success. Okay. Secondly, the time period of your journey, when you arrive, and the state of your being when you arrive. How are you doing when you arrive? How many of you have ever gotten to the holiday destination and thought, I need a holiday right now, just from the travel stress? (laughs) Anyway, and then you go back home, and you, you rested, you go back home, and then you're stressed when you get home. I need a holiday from my holiday. Those who have kids will say that. There are two, people always ask me when I come back from a family holiday, did you have a great time? Did you rest? I'm like, I had a great time. I did not rest. I have four children. That's not a resting holiday. A resting holiday is me and my wife that go to a five-star hotel and we sleep. That's a resting holiday. (laughs) The other kind of holiday is a memory-making holiday. It's great. It's fun. It's awesome. But you do not rest. And all that parents say, Amen. I say. <laughs> and I didn't even teach them to do that. It just happened. <laughs> All right. Let's read the scriptures. All right. Romans 8. We are only going to do, I think it's five verses, 26 to 30, but you're going to see how much is going on here. Romans 8 from verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Wow. How powerful is that? guys are very quiet. It starts out by saying, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Also helps. That, that means it's one more thing. It means there was another thing that he helped with. 
Okay, who can remember from last week what he helped us with? He helped us to understand that we are children of God. The spirit of adoption speaks to our spirit and tells us, you are a child of God. You need to believe this. This is true. He helps us to do that. Now, he's helping us to do one more thing. It says he helps us in our weaknesses. How many of us get excited about being okay with having weaknesses? It's hard, right? There's pride, there's flesh, there's all kinds of stuff. I'm not weak. Let's realize and take a moment and go, okay, compared to God and the Holy Spirit, maybe I'm weak. Anyone? So, you know, the, 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 the first step to, to healing is to admit that you've got a problem. So admitting that I am weaker than the Holy Spirit is a good place to start. He helps us in our weaknesses, but he's referring to a specific weakness. What is that? He says that we do not know how we should pray or what we should pray or as we ought. Sorry, let me say that again. He says we do not know what we should pray or pray as we ought. This means that we don't know what we should be praying for. In other words, we don't know the subject of our prayers and we don't know the way in which we should pray for that subject of our prayers. That is a weakness. Do you see that? How many of you have stood in a, in, in a place where pe people are praying and it sounds like they, they know what they're doing, but nothing spiritually hits? And then sometimes you listen to the most simple prayer from an innocent person and it just melts you. There's something different. Why? Because there's either relationship or there's not, or there's still growth that needs to take place. A mature, the more we mature in Christ, the more mature our prayers will become. But listen, we're going to learn now what that should look like. So, he's the, so the Holy Spirit helps us in the weakness of not knowing what to pray for or how to pray. Listen now to John 15. We're going to read verse 7 and 16. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You might know this. It's a, it's a very famous passage where he talks about I am the vine and you are the branches. It's from that part. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. What does abide mean? Abide means to remain continually. He says then, you did not choose me, but I chose, remember that word, I chose you and appointed you that you should go, movement and action, and bear fruit. There's something that's going to come from you going and doing what I've sent you to do. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Wow. Whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, will be given by the Father. Now, listen, just further down in the same chapter, John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. All right. So do you see that about praying? Now, 
Listen to James 5 from verse 15 to 18. This has to do with the how we pray. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now listen to this. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Makes a lot of stuff happen. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He is saying that one of the biggest prophets of the Old Testament, his nature is the same as anyone else. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Paul says, we do not know what we should pray for and how we ought to pray for it. Okay, so both the subject of our prayer life and the method of our prayer is not in line with God's will in our default state. Now, Jesus said to his disciples in John 15 that what they desire will be done for them if, remember if then, if they abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in them. So whatever you pray will come true if you continually remain in Jesus and Jesus continually remains in you. Do we see that? Okay. Then verse 16, he speaks of bearing fruit when they go to do what they were called to do and what they, that whatever they ask in the Father's name will be given. So as I am on mission for Jesus, Jesus wants to see that there's fruit on my life. So he says, pray and it will be given to you while you are on mission. So what would those prayers be like? It would be praying for the journey. It would be praying for the people they encounter. It will be praying for, for healing the sick, for casting out demons, the mission that they were sent on. Amen? Would you agree with that? But it's founded on the fruit of the mission for which they are sent. Now, Jesus told the disciples what they should pray for and how they should pray for it. He told them the, the what and he told them the how. And then in verse 26, he promises the Holy Spirit from the Father who is, now by the way, he's promising it again. If you read John 14, 15, 16, he promises in each of those chapters, he promises that the Spirit will come. And he says, why? He says, the Spirit will come. I will send the Spirit from the Father and he's the Spirit of truth and he will testify of Jesus. Now in James, we see how important it is to pray with, he says, with faith, to pray effectively, to pray fervently, and like Elijah, earnestly. That is the how we should, ought, we should pray, the ought to, that we re just read in Romans. So how many of you know what it's like to pray by faith, to pray fervently, and to pray earnestly? Have you ever gotten so focused and excited and passionate that nothing will hold you back? You are going to pray until you see what God has promised will happen. That is a, faith, a prayer of faith. And that's possible for us. It's possible for every Christian. And I'm going to say it again. It's not just for the extroverts. It's for every person that has given their life to Christ. You can pray fervently, passionately, and earnestly and see things change. He said in James, we can pray because we are no different from Elijah. The only difference might be the earnest way that you pray with or not. 
Amen? Can we see that? I believe when we read these passages together, we can see how the Holy Spirit is there for us as believers today to help us pray what we should pray and in the way that is pleasing to God. And we should trust the Holy Spirit to do that. And we should lean into that and expect it to happen as we pray in tongues by faith. So what do you pray and how do you pray on a daily basis? When you spend time with God, what is coming out of your mouth and where is it, does it have its root? And are you praying in a way that is in line with scriptures? Is it earnest, by faith, fervently? What is, where does the word fervent come from? You must almost think of a fever. It's hot and it's, 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 it's um, rising, it's strong and it's powerful. John Bevere does a great teaching on, on the fervent prayer of a righteous man. That's also important to know. Are you a righteous man? Who is righteous? Remember, one standard, those who are cleansed by Jesus. So if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are a righteous man or woman. So now, if you're a righteous man or woman and you are praying for something in line with Jesus' will and you're praying fervently, you can expect to see that it'll happen. Can we see that? All right. Now, it says next up, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Now, here's a hint to a beautiful exchange again between the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it reveals how the Father knows what's going on in our hearts and minds. When you read this passage, it's, it's so beautiful. You see the Spirit is interacting with our spirit and interacting with the Father. And that's how he knows what's going on on the inside. So what does he do to help us in our weakness? We are weak. We need help. What does he do? He intercedes for us. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit is probably the best intercession intercessor we can have, right? He's interceding for us. How? The Bible says here, with groanings that cannot be understood. With groanings that cannot be understood. This is referring to the ability to pray in tongues, something that may, many receive when they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I can testify to you today that this gift of choosing by faith to pray in a heavenly language is powerful. It changes the atmosphere. It changes your faith. It changes your emotions. It has an impact on you when you do that. And I can tell you from experience that praying in tongues will eventually lead to praying more accurately and with more authority. Praying in tongues will lead to praying more like we read in James. It'll, it'll, it'll be more like praying from the place of knowing what I should pray and then the way that I should pray it. So when I, when I don't know what to pray, when, I, when I'm struggling, when, I'm, when I feel like, oh man, things are hitting the ceiling or I just feel something is not lacquer, I need to go before God and I start by faith to pray in my heavenly tongue. Have you ever felt like you don't know what to pray? Anyone ever felt, I don't know what to pray? Pray in tongues. Ever felt like your prayers are hitting the ceiling? Pray in tongues. Do you want to know what, do you know, sorry, don't know what praying in tongues is or you haven't yet stepped into that? Okay, this is something we can remedy. But if you sit here today and you go, I don't believe in praying in tongues. Can you see that you are limiting your walk with Christ? 
Because Paul is talking about this here. He's talking about this in 1 Corinthians 14. He confirms that praying in tongues is an important part of our walk with Christ. He does say that speaking in tongues it is not necessarily for the congregation unless someone can interpret the tongue and it's to the edification of everyone around them. But when it comes to the personal prayer that I have in my prayer closet, as Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and meet with the Father in the secret place. That is how we should pray. So we go there, and if I don't know where to start, I start praying with, tongue, with my tongue. Let me ask you this. If I confidently shared with you today, like an oracle of God, that if you chose by faith to pray in tongues today, if you just did it by faith, and that your first prayer after praying in tongues will come true, how many of you will suddenly give it a shot and then pray for, to win the lotto? <laughs> See, because I think we are still stuck in this thing of I want a quick fix. Heinz, just tell me, how should I pray to get the breakthrough that I need? How should I pray to get that house, to get that income, to buy that car, to, to do what I want? Me, 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 I, I, I. How do I do this? A lot of us are stuck in that place. Because we put us first. And we don't put God first. If I truly abide remain continually in Jesus' words and his words continually remain in me so that the only thing that can come out of my mouth are the words of Christ and I then pray, it should sound different. Are we in agreement? So maybe the stuck, the feeling of stuck has also to do with our heart condition once again and this is why the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness because weakness has to do with maybe the extent to which I haven't died to self, the extent to which I'm still operating in my flesh. Can we see that? All right. Note also that he makes intercession for us according to the will of God. You don't know what the will of God is? Don't worry. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you according to the will of God. So will you pray in tongues knowing this? Will you pray in tongues knowing that when I pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit is interceding for me and He starts showing me what the will of God is. It starts welling up on the inside in your spirit being. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not making this stuff up. It's written in the Word of God. The question is, do you really believe the Word of God? You can't interpret this in another way. It's written there. Black on white. Do you believe it? Are you challenged by this? <laughs> if you don't know the will of God in general or specifically for you, pray in tongues. And not once and not for one minute, but daily for as long as you can, for as much as you can. There's something powerful that happens that starts happening. And something I can encourage those who are married is to do this with your spouse. Hold hands, get quiet, start praying in tongues. Oh, my word, the things you will see and experience. It is so powerful. 
you go, well, uh, it's a bit of a sacrifice for me to, to try and pray in tongues. It's, it feels weird and embarrassing. Okay? What about you sacrifice some time and some own ideas and rather do what the Bible says? Let the sacrifice be on your flesh and on your thinking rather than you not doing something and sacrificing what God has for you. What about that? Could we try that? Do you remember from last week's portion of Scripture, we saw that the Holy Spirit communicates with our born-again spirits and tell our spirit that we are now adopted children of God. He affirms identity in Christ. He affirms sonship in the Father. Now, here we see another form of communication also taking place. Check out this verse, how it started. Likewise, the Spirit also. In the previous verses, we read that the Spirit of adoption affirms our spirit that it's born again and it's, it's our new identity. Now it says the same thing. It says, likewise, the Spirit intercedes by communicating with our spirit being. So the Spirit of God is this conduit from our spirit and the Father. He tethers us to the Father to understand our deepest feelings, thoughts, and requests. And He enables us to communicate that to the Father. This is powerful and so amazing to know that there's this intimate interaction happening when the Holy Spirit is in us and communicating with us and the Father. It's an amazing thing. Now, Paul continues and he says, And we know that all things, everybody says all things, Paul says, all things work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I'm going to stop there. That's a famous verse. Have you heard that verse before? All things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. The verse gets quoted a lot. And many believers find comfort in difficult seasons when they read this scripture. How many of you have used that scripture when you're going through a tough time? Okay, all things work together for the good, even these things that I'm happening right now. Anyone? Lord, let it work out for my good. I know I've done that. But as much as I believe this is for our comfort, we must also be very aware of the context of this verse and the conditions that it sets. All things will work together for the good of who? Those who love God. Do you think that's a, a broad term? Does it say all people? All things will work together for the good of all people. No. Do you think Paul made a mistake? Do you think he meant something else? No, he says to those who love God. It's one of those if-then situations that I keep telling you about. If you love God, then all things will work together for your good. Can you see that? It's if you flip it around. If you love God and you pray and situation is difficult, you can trust that God will make it work for your good. All right? Now, the big question is, what does it mean and what does it look like when I truly love God? Is it after all, I mean, it is after all the greatest commandment according to the Old Testament and according to Jesus himself is to love God with all our heart, mind, strength, all right? So he says, 
love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This is a biblical principle, and I think every Christian will agree. This is what Jesus said. Okay. How many of us are obedient to the two most important commandments on a daily basis? No, but I just need a new revelation. Have you heard this pastor? And have you heard this thing? And have you, are you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself? No, but wait, there's this new book, and there's this new CD, and this new song, and have you heard this conspiracy theory? No. Shush. Are you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, I've heard that before. You know, people have preached on that. I know, I know. Do you really? Because if I really love God the way that the Bible means it, I can stand on one of the most powerful promises in the Word of God, that all things will work together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. Do you love Him? Are you called? Do you know? Do you really know? Let us consult our brother John in his first letter, 1 John 4. I'm going to read verses 7 to 11 and, 21, and 20 to 21. Listen to this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, it was shown, it was made clear, it was affirmed toward us human beings that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That is love. Jesus dying on a cross for you, that is love. I love ice cream. No, you don't. You like ice cream. In this is love. He's making it very clear. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For, who, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? That's a very simple way of looking at it. You tell me that you love God who you can't see, but you hate the guy next to you because he irritates you or he said something you don't like or he believes something that you don't like. But Jesus said, love your enemy. We struggle to just love our freaking neighbor. Some of you struggle to just love the person that's right here next to you in church because they've offended you or said something or they just didn't smile in a moment that you think they should have smiled and now you're like, oh, I'm so offended. That's not love because you are taking your emotions above another person and their character and who God says they are. That's not love. That's being sensitive. That's being immature as a Christian. I'm going to tell it to you straight. If you struggle to love the people that are sitting here right now on these benches that you are serving on a team with, if you struggle to love them, how the heck are you going to love the neighbor that you've never spoken to that lives right next door? How the heck are you going to love the people who are trying to steal your children from you? Who is your enemy? 
I love Jesus. Really? The standard is so much higher and so much more specific than what we think. Listen to John. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Can you see that it's quite important to John that you know you need to love your brother in Christ? He's just focusing on your brother, the one that's in church with you. Yo, it's hard. Now, so in order for all things to work for my good, the prerequisite is for me to love God. And loving God means to love Him unconditionally, servant-heartedly, and sacrificially. Because that's how Jesus loved us. He died He loved unconditionally, sacrificed everything, and came to serve and not to be served. He says that's the standard for love. Love God that way. Oh, and by the way, the way I will know that you love God is I will see if you love your brother or not. Ooh, ain't I? Are we challenged by the word of God today? All right. If... I do not love the people around me. I do not love God. And therefore the promise of all things working together for my good does not apply. Can you see that? Oh, Heinz, no, that can't be true. I'm so offended by that statement. How can you say that? I love God. I, maybe I don't like my neighbor, yes, but I love God. But it continues. That's the first qualification that you love God and love your neighbor, that you love God in order for this to work. Then it says, to those who are called according to his purpose. So, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, they can expect that all things will work together for their good. Are you called according to his purpose? Are you walking it out? Have you ever heard a call in your life that God said, This is what I want you to do? And you were like, No, thank you. I believe there's at least one person in this hall today going, yes, I had a moment like that. God called me this way, and I was like, there's no money in that. There's no security in that. I'm going to go this way. So we've looked at the first qualifier, love God, which is proven by our love for our brother, but who are called according to his purpose. So the first qualifier is I must love God in order for all things to work together for my good. The second qualifier is I must be called according to his purpose. Who is that? Who is called according to his purpose? I think Paul gives us an answer in one of his other letters, Ephesians 1. Let's read Ephesians 1 from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he's saying who he is. Now he says to whom he's writing. He says to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. He's describing them as faithful people in Christ. He says to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ 
just as He chose, everybody say chose, chose us in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. That He chose us before He created everything. He chose you for a reason. That we should be holy, blameless before Him in, there's that word, love. Having, this is our word for today, predestined us to, this sounds familiar, adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. So from Scripture, it's clear that only those saints from Ephesus are called according to God's purpose, and no one else has a chance. Is it only for the guys from Ephesus? Are you a saint? Have you been saved by grace through faith and is one with Jesus Christ? Then you are called. You are chosen and you are predestined. This would be true for anyone who is a saint and who faithfully follows Jesus. Put it another way. Paul could have said to all born again, baptized, Holy Spirit-filled followers of the way of Jesus Christ. Are you a born again, baptized, Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ? 21 of you, that's good. I can change the world with you. Let's do it. So the question we each need to ask ourselves is, do I love God and am I called according to His purposes? Why do you think this church, one of our values is that we want people to encounter God so that they can align with His purposes? Because it's biblical to walk in the purposes that God has for us. So if you are my brother or sister in Christ and you have made a decision to love Jesus back by dying to self and being raised to everlasting life with Him, if you love others with the love of Jesus and if you therefore are called to God's purposes, you can confidently stand on the promise in this verse and says, okay, I love God and I am called by His purposes. So whatever the circumstances around me are, I know that it'll work together for my good. And when you pray, you can pray fervently, earnestly, passionately, knowing that this will work for my good. The timing of when it will work out for your good, that might be still a challenge. But it's coming. God is patient. We are not. How many of you have walked that out? God, I love you, and I know I'm called by you. It's not worked out good yet. It's still very tough. I've been there a few times. Hang in. His promises did not become untrue because you haven't seen it fulfilled. The only thing that we have control over in this promise is do I love God? And am I called according to His purpose? If I can genuinely say yes, then I can genuinely stand on that promise. Amen? Does that make sense? See, I'm only through three verses. And it's already 
Imagine I was trying to finish at Romans 8 today. I still, I still have so much. Can we still go 10 minutes? Are you with me, church? Don't leave. Don't leave. All right, this is good. Oh, okay. Now, listen to this next part. It says, for whom he foreknew, think of Ephesians 1, chosen before time began. Because he foreknew, he predestined to be what? What are you foreknown for and predestined for? To be conformed to the image of his son. And there's a reason for that. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Who he justified, he also glorified. Woo! Come on. So here are five words that apply to you if you are saved, born again, walking with Jesus. You are foreknown, you have been predestined, you have been called, you have been justified, and you have been glorified. Yes, woohoo. Oh my word, people. What's that song we've sung before? Light a fire under your bums. I think you can see the similarities between this verse and what we just read in Ephesians. These two letters were written by Paul about three years apart. He wrote Romans first and then, um, sorry, Romans being first and then Ephesians a bit older. So those he knew before, this reminds me Sorry. So what he's talking about foreknowing, those who he known, who he all my English tenses, those who God knew before. When he says you are foreknown, it reminds me of Jeremiah 1. It says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. He also gave a predetermined destiny, and this destiny is to be conformed to the image of his son. So to be foreknown is to be known before time began. How many of you know that confirms the fact that you are spirit first? Oh, that's a whole thing I want to explain now, but we don't have time. He also gave a predetermined destiny. He says you've been predestined, and he says what is that predestination? The predestination that you have is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's your reason for existing. Is to be conformed to his son. Let's just pause on that for a moment. Why is it part of God's plan to conform his children to his son? Why? Why does he want you to be conformed to his son? But if you are saved, you're already in contact with the father through his son, Jesus. Conformed means there's a process of becoming more like his son. He actually gives you the answer in the scripture just the next line, it says that he will be the firstborn of many brothers. So he wants us to be conformed to, to be like Jesus so that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren, of many brothers and sisters of Jesus. Remember, he just told us we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, who is a son of God. We get the same status. 
We get the same status and the same um, inheritance. Can you see that? So we need to be conformed to his image so that Jesus can be the firstborn of many brothers. If none of us conform to Jesus, he has no brothers. Oh. That's, the, that's the obvious thing that he says, but what lies beneath this reason is the fact that this is actually about God's redemptive plan for mankind. Before the fall of man, before Adam ate the freaking fruit that Eve gave him, he was created in the image and likeness of the Trinity of which Jesus was one. John 1 says, in the beginning, Jesus was there. He was the Word and the Word was God. When it all happened, when the, the Bible says, let us make man in our image, our image and our likeness to be like us, to be in our image. Woo, this needs to sink in for some of you. That was the original plan, the original design. Then Adam, there was a time where Adam and the woman, because she only got a name after the fall, she was still the woman, when Adam and the woman were together, where it was perfect. They were created in the image of God, and they were sinless, and they were communing with God and walking with Him in the cool of the day. That was God's original plan for all mankind. So why does God want us to be restored to the image and likeness of His Son? Because that was His plan from the start. Jesus is our way back to be like we were supposed to be. Is this sinking in? Jesus was in the beginning with God, but 4,000 years after Adam in our timeline, Jesus became flesh. He became fully human, and he was tempted in all ways just as we were, yet without sin. He was the second Adam here to redeem. He walked like Adam in the flesh and on earth, but without sin. He had the image of the Trinity, and he lived a sinless life. This is to what we need to be conformed. This is the end goal to walk like Jesus on this earth without sin because we have been called to be holy and blameless before God amen do you believe it's possible to live a holy life on earth with the power of the Holy Spirit will you choose to do that good because we are not a church of comfortable people we are a church of warrior Christians amen because the enemy is coming and we need to be strong. We cannot play church. We will fall flat. The cards will not stand. We have to be firm on the foundation of Christ Jesus and be built as living stones standing for what we are believing in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, on the back of this, he promises, of the promises what, that we are destined for, he also says, so apart from being foreknown and being predestined to be like Jesus, we are called we are justified, and we are glorified. Wow. If I say, Leon, come here. I call my son. You don't have to. But well done for being ready. That's obedience. If I'm, I'm calling him to come. Is it possible for me to call him and he doesn't come? So when am I chosen? When you come, 
So you can look at a crowd of people and say, hey, you come and play my team. They're like, uh-uh. Okay, who wants to play my team? You? All right, come. I call you and you come and now I chose you. You see, you can be called but not chosen. There's still a, there's still a, there's a choice that you have to make. The justifications, we've spoken about that. It means that we are justified from the penalty of sin and death. And glorification comes at the end when we are with Jesus. Wow. These promises are available to everyone who follows Jesus. The Holy Spirit will help you to pray and communicate with the Father. And all things will work together for the good of those who love Him and are called to His purposes. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.